the book of Romans, and in chapter 6, and I'd like for us to read verses 1 through verse 10. If you noticed in your bulletin, our subject is simply no more. No more. Romans chapter 6, and I began in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. I read this passage of scripture, and we've looked at it recently on several occasions, I think. But I just wanted to point out the words in verse 9. The words, no more. No more. Used here twice in verse 9. The usual manner of the Apostle Paul's writings was not the use of the word no more, but of the words much more. That was common in Paul's writings, and especially we find that in the book of Romans, Paul's use of the words much more. Notice in chapter 5 of Romans, if you would, now read verse 8 and verse 9, but God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then he said, much more then. Being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And then in verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall live in life by one, Jesus Christ. 
verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now notice again in our reading in Romans 6 and in verse verse 9, here Paul switches from much more to no more. And his words are, are very fitting because in Romans 6 and in verse 9, his words show things that will never happen again. No more forever. Verse 9, Jesus Christ dieth no more. He will never die again. Same verse, verse 9, death will never again have dominion over him. There are some things that I am very thankful for that they did happen once. But I'm thankful they'll never happen again. I'm thankful Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, but I'm thankful he dieth no more. He'll never die again. He is alive forevermore. I'm thankful Death hath no more dominion over him. Go with me to Acts chapter 13. The book of Acts and in chapter 13. And I'm going to begin reading in verse, verse 29. Acts chapter 13 verse 29. When they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher, but God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Remember the words of our text. He dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Verse 35 is in this reading of Acts 13. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm. Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see 
corruption. Notice in, in, in verse 34, and as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, notice the next words carefully, now no more to return to corruption. He'll never die again. He'll never be buried again. No more to return to the grave to be corrupted. We know he did not see corruption. We're told that in the scripture during the three days and three nights he was in the tomb. But he dies no more. He'll never be put in the ground again and be buried and see corruption. That's the meaning of the wording here in verse 34. As I thought on this matter about how the Holy Spirit used the words no more, I could not help but think of several no mores that we have in the Scripture. And it is a wonderful study and a, a something good to look at. I'm going to Hebrews in chapter 10. Hebrews and in chapter 10. I'm going to read verse 17. Notice this no more. Hebrews 10 verse 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Never again. And it's not that God has a defective memory. That's not the meaning here at all. But the meaning is God will never again bring up the sins of any of those for whom Jesus Christ did die. He will not bring them up. Verse 18 of Hebrews 10. Now where remission of these is... There is no more offering for sin. Those for whom Jesus died have no need of a Roman mass. We have no need of that false doctrine of transubstantiation. Jesus is one offering for sin on our behalf was sufficient. And the Bible says there is no more offering for sin. No more. No more. The first instance that I find in the scripture of God's promise using the words no more. I'm going back to Genesis in chapter 9. In the book of Genesis and in chapter 9. And I'm going to read verse 12 through verse 15. Genesis and in chapter 9, reading beginning in verse 12. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. And that includes us. God said, I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. Now I'm going to mention this, just pause for a moment. 
in verse 14. It's not important that you and I see the boat. God said when he sees the boat. When he sees the boat. The bow will be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. Here is a promise using these words no more that you and I rely upon even today. It does not matter how many floods come, how much rain may come. Sometimes we may think it will never end. But we have this great promise that God said in Genesis 9 verse 15, the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. We can rest upon that promise. It's never going to happen again simply because God said, no more, no more. Go with me to the book of Exodus and in chapter 14. In the book of Exodus in chapter 14, and Brother Justice mentioned this in our Bible study this morning, God's promise to Israel as they were at the Red Sea. And it was a a great promise unto them. In Exodus in chapter 14, you'll notice in verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more. Never again, never again. The Egyptians that had afflicted the people of Israel for 400 years, generation after generation, God said, you'll see them again no more. And I won't read it all, but you could read beginning in verse 22 and all the way through verse 30, and you'll find out what happened to the Egyptians when they decided they'd go in on dry land just like the Israelites did. But God closed the waters upon them. He took off their chariot wheels and they were stranded there and the floods came back upon them and destroyed every one of them. Go with me to Deuteronomy in chapter 5. In Deuteronomy in chapter 5, I want to point out something concerning God's law. Concerning the law of God. In Deuteronomy in chapter 5, I'm going to read several things here. But in verse 1, Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep them and do them. And God began to give the law, what we know as the Ten Commandments. You could begin reading in verse 6 as he, he gives these one after another. But look at verse 22 if you would. These words, 
the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount out of the midst of the fire of the cloud and of the thick darkness with a great voice and he added no more. He wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto me, said Moses. But when God wrote the two tables of the law with his fingers upon that stone, he wrote ten commandments, and we're told in verse 22, he added no more. Now if God added no more, it's not our place to add more. God put on the tables of stone everything he wanted concerning his moral law. And again, I'm going to read the last part of verse 22. And he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto them. No more. Go with me all the way over to the book of Revelation. In the Revelation that we have recorded by, by John, there are several no mores that I am very thankful for and we need to always keep in our mind. I'm going to Revelation chapter 7. and We're going to look here and other places in Revelations at some no mores that apply some to the millennial and some to eternity itself. But the no mores are important. Revelation chapter 7. And I began in verse, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat, for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them under living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears 
from their eyes. Keep this no more in verse 16 in mind and what is written in verse 17. If you would go with me to chapter 21 of the book of Revelation. In chapter 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. The words of, of verse 4 here in Revelation 21 are very similar to the words we read in Revelation and in chapter 7. Here in Revelation 21 in verse 1 and verse 2, John saw a new heaven and a new earth. And he saw the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. And it's interesting to me to notice things which are missing. Things that are missing. Things that just will not be found there. I notice first of all in verse 1, no more sea. No more sea. I remember several years ago on TV watching the first President Bush giving a speech. And he said something about establishing a new world order. And that really caught my attention, what he was saying. But I could not help but think, well, you're not the one going to establish a new world order. My God's going to do that. There's going to be a, a new world order. And I know that simply because in verse 1, no more see. Now, this new world order is not going to be the type politicians might speak of but the one that God is going to establish. A whole new world order is going to be. No more sea. Now just think about the consequences of that. The great bodies of water that are upon, are upon this earth and the circular motion of the waters. You have the great seas, then there's the matter of evaporation, it, the water comes up, carried by clouds, and then it rains, and it goes in a continual circle over and over and over again. But there's coming a time, no more. That's not going to happen. No more. In verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And he's not only going to do that, 
He is going to remove every cause of a sorrowful tear. There will be nothing in this order of things that will cause heartache, sorrow, grief, that will cause tears. There will be, as it says in verse 4, no more death. How many tears are shed every day when people lose a loved one? The cause of tears is removed. In chapter 20 of Revelation and in verse 14, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. No wonder there'll be no more death. It'd be a wonderful thing that we can look forward to to live in a place where there's no cemeteries, no one dying, no hospitals, none of that. No more death. Hold your place here. Back in the book of Isaiah and in chapter 25. In Isaiah chapter 25, and I'm going to read verse 8. Just the first part of that verse, it says, He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. He will swallow up death in victory. Do those words sound familiar? You remember, and I'm going to read it in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. It's recorded in verse 54, the latter part of the verse. Death is swallowed up in victory. No more death. No more dying. In the book of 2 Corinthians and in chapter 5, I'm going to read verse Verse 1 through verse 4. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In this, that's referring to our bodies now, we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, notice the last words, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. In what we are reading in Revelation Mortality will not exist. No death. No death. There will not be one person there in the process of dying. No death. And it's no wonder in Revelation 21 and then verse 4, no more sorrow. No more crying. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? I mean, we're talking about a real place that is reserved for the people of God where there'll be no more death, no more sorrow, and no more crying. There'll be nothing to cry about. There'll be nothing there to, to bring about sorrow. Let me go back to Isaiah again. This time to chapter 35. 
Isaiah in chapter 35, and I'm going to read the entirety of the chapter. Verse 1, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and of Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of fear, fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a poo, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay, shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring man, though fools shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed of the Lord shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Revelation chapter 21. No more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. All just flees away. It just will not be there. In verse 4 of Revelation 21. And I look forward to all of these things, but I'm looking forward to this next one. Neither shall there be any more pain. It's hard for me to imagine now living without pain. It's just a way of life, it seems like. The older you get, it's just a way of life. You get accustomed just living with pain. But think about this. Verse 4, neither shall there be any more pain. These things are going to be missing. They will not be there. They just will not be there. Why will all of these things not be there? Why will they be missing? Well, I think the answer is the last words of verse 4. For the former things are passed away. I said there's going to be a new world order. And it will. The old world order is passed away. 
The former things are passed away. They are no more. Verse 5, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And the things of verse 4 will just be missing. I don't think we're going to miss them, but they won't be there. But there's some other things that will not be there that will be missing. Again, they just won't be there. Notice verse 7 and verse 8. It says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. You remember the all in our message this morning? Here we have it again. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. He shall be my son. But, this is a very large but. The fearful and unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. They will not be there. I don't know about generations past or in the future, but I know about this one. So many people seem to have the idea everybody's going to heaven. I mean, just go to funerals. How many funerals have you been to when somebody says, this person's going to hell? No. Seems like they, are, they turn out to be a good person no matter how vile a life they live, and they're now with the Lord. Well, there's some that's just not going to be there. They're not going to be there. The fearful, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars are just not going to be there. Hold your place. I'm going to 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians and in chapter 6, as Paul is writing to the saints at Corinth, he said in verse 9, and it's sort of a rhetorical question, but it's something that might have put them to shame. He said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Telling the saints at Corinth, Do, do you not know this? Do you not know this? The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. And then he said, Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. They won't be there. They won't be there. No matter what they think, no matter what their family relations may think, no matter what anyone thinks, God's word said they won't be there. They just will not be there. Back in Revelation and in chapter chapter 21, there are things that just will not be there. 
One of those is mentioned in verse 22. I saw no temple therein. I saw no temple therein. In the new Jerusalem and in heaven itself for eternity, there will not be a temple there. The reason is mentioned in verse 22. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Every true earthly temple was a type and a picture of God himself and of Jesus Christ, the place of worship, the place of worship. John said as he viewed things in this vision, if you would call it that, he said, I saw no temple therein. Maybe he was looking for one. Where's the temple? I see, the, I see this new city. He describes in the verses just before this, he describes the city, the walls, the gates, the streets. He describes everything about it. It's as if John was looking. Where's the temple? He said, I didn't see one. I didn't see one. And he says, the reason I didn't see one is that the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. If you look at verse 23 again, this new world order. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. Just wasn't needed. So it's not there. Just was not needed. Do you notice in verse 25, no night there. No night there. There'll be no sun, no moon to shine in it. And again, we're given the reason we don't have to guess. For or because the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. A perpetual, continual light from the glory of God. The glory of the Lamb. The glory that will be. If you look over to chapter 22, now I'm going to read verse 1 through verse 3. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree we're for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. No more curse. Not only will there be no more curse, but there will be no more any results or effects of the curse. Won't be any briars and thistles there. Won't be anything that pertained under the curse. Hold your place again. I'm going to Second Peter. In Second Peter and in chapter three. Second Peter in chapter three, verse thirteen. It says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, and that's that's a key phrase there. Only expect what God has promised. Only expect what he's promised. We, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth. Here's the reason. There'll be no curse, no effects of the curse. 
wherein dwelleth righteousness and righteousness only. Only righteousness. I cannot imagine living in a place where only dwells righteousness. Where only dwells righteous people. No sinners, no sin, no curse. All of that is no more. I began by mentioning the much mores in the writings of the Apostle Paul. But the more I look at the no mores that we have read today and others, it seems like the no mores resemble much more a great bit. To me, the no mores mean there's going to be much more, much more for us. I'm sure we all look forward to when all of these things that I've mentioned will be no more.